hope you enjoy this episode it's interesting oh i love the fact yeah, that you're yeah. behind you it says football manager everywhere is that your new is that your new top I, oh my word new home. what's football manager is it some it's kind a, of it's a game isn't it it's by sports interactive they sponsor us so that's our, that's the home is it this is the away i have no idea what it is I got, and that's the away. It's the first time. Holy moly. So I hope you noticed I didn't swear there. Is that about 100 quid's worth of kit? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time It's the first time I've ever... You don't need to tell me. First, just no, checking it's in. It's the first time I've ever bought a home and an away kit any season because we've got like all this cool stuff like Back to Plough Lane and it's all got lots of references. Is that, is that, is that your home? That's, is that, that your is stadium? Yes, that's where we're moving to this year. Back to where we originally. So where were you? Where were you when you weren't at Plough Lane? We were playing it in a, a ground in Kingston that we bought. Um, that was originally Kingstonian Football Club's ground, uh, and that was sold to us okay. when we restarted. And so the ambition has always been to be back in the borough of Merton, uh, and we. Have okay. And so because so basically I'll give the short version of the story, and this is probably this might this will start the podcast. So basically, we used to... No, we should totally leave all this in the podcast, yeah. for just in case anyone's listening, so we, um, and we include this, yeah. which we should. Adam is wearing a blue um, home kit. This is a home, is it a home kit? Yeah. He, honestly, he looks so proud of it as well. And right today. behind him on his chair, he has a yellow football manager That's thing, the away kit. Uh, which is the away kit. And yeah, it's nice colours, actually. Yeah, so the there's loads colors. of like references, for example. So the back to plough lane thing. So let me, okay, I'll give you the quick history and I'll tell you about the references that are on the shirt because it was designed by... Okay. It was designed for, for new listeners, this yeah. is Wimbledon Football Club. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so basically Wim, Wimbledon it. Football Club played at plough lane uh, until after the shortly after the Hillsborough disaster. So the report from the Hillsborough disaster was that all stadiums needed to go uh, all seater. Now, as we as we have pre as we have now found out, that lots of things related to the Hillsborough disaster were not accurate in terms of who was to blame and those kind of things. And we saw that that was clearly the police were to blame in the end and all that kind of stuff. So the report though that came out from what they thought was the issues was that everyone needed to go all seater. And our stadium in Wimbledon, Plough Lane, uh, the cost to go all seater. Was, prop, was seen as too much by our owner at the time, Sam Haman. So basically over one close season during the summer... Did you just say... Did you just say Sam the man? Sam Haman. That was, that's his name. <laughs> I thought you just said Sam the man. No, he turned out not to be the man, <laughs> okay. unfortunately. Sam Haman, sorry. But he, he turned... Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. He wasn't the man, people. So basically he, in the close season, he basically negotiated a ground share with Crystal Palace. So that's in Sellers Park. So obviously okay. in another part of London. So we moved to Sellers Park under the kind of sort of guise that, that something would be done with our stadium to make it uh, mm -hmm. meet the requirements of, of the Hillsborough disaster report. Uh, but that never happened. He sold the ground. It became housing and whatever. And we were stuck with, with in, in a Crystal Palace's ground. In Kingston? No, this was in oh, Sellers right. Park. Is that in Kingston? No, this is in Oh, no, this Crystal is before Palace. Kingston. Yeah. So then obviously what happened okay, then, okay. again, this is the fast version. Uh, basically, we were yeah. then uh, taken over by Norwegian owners who uh, were sold mm -hmm. by Sam Haman this idea that we were a Premier League club, you know, going places. Um, and what he what <laughs> what he sort of neglected to tell them was we were a homeless Premier League club with a small fan base uh, who basically relied. But you were a Premier League yeah, club. Yeah, yeah, we were a founding member. Yeah. Okay. But, but the Norwegian okay. owners sort of bought it on the premise that it was a big Premier League club, and also bought it on the premise that we were going to move to Dublin. 
So they were told this idea that we would move, the club would move to Dublin and we'd get loads of fans because we have a bunch of... We have a, our, Why were you going to move to Dublin? Because there was a kind of idea that we'd get loads of fans in Dublin by being a Premier League club. They'd move it. Uh, and so they were kind of sold this idea, which didn't happen because actually UEFA blocked the move to Dublin. And of course, the fans of Wimbledon were not very pleased about that. Uh, event- I'm sure the fans of Wimbledon didn't want you to move to Dublin. No, anyway. we didn't. We had Dublin equals death and all those kind of things. You know, was was kind of our oh really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was kind of yeah. But yeah, it was all, no way. It was all a bit pie in the sky, and UEFA blocked it. So, but then what happened was that um, from that point on, the owners were trying to figure a way out because they were losing money. They've been sold something. We got relegated, and so in the end, uh, a music entrepreneur called Pete Winkleman convinced. The Norwegian owners to move the club to Milton Keynes, um, and that was that, okay. that was sold as the only option. Obviously, none of the fans okay. agreed with that option, and so at that point, when the club was stolen and moved to Milton Keynes, we set up our own club. <laughs> stolen so, yeah, yeah it was totally stolen. I love the way that you say these things, just like naturally in the conversation. Do, uh, Dublin equals death. And until yeah. that point when the club was stolen, and you don't even sort of pause before you say stolen, you just say until that point the club was stolen. No, because so, I was there, yeah. you know. So I was there. The, and the, the music entrepreneur bought the club and he was going to move it to Milton yeah. Keynes. He'd been looking for and He'd been looking to so, move it. So basically Milton Keynes, they had a football club called Milton Keynes Football Club, which is, on a, which is in a very low division of the football pyramid. But he his mm-hmm. mission had been to bring a high profile club to Milton Keynes because he felt that lots of people would want to go and watch it so he'd already approached Luton football club to try and convince them to move the club down the road mm-hmm. and then he he's they said no they said no yeah exactly there were some rules blocked then he approached us uh, and again to cut a long story short the rules were that that is not possible you're not allowed to move a club from its original place by a certain distance he basically fought a number of um panels and managed to overturn it by convincing them the business case was strong enough which as fans we didn't agree mm-hmm. with we felt there was other options so basically the so the mm-hmm. club was taken to Milton Keynes and so we then the fans started AFC Wimbledon in 2002 uh, from nothing started trials on Wimbledon Common started at the bottom of the football league pyramid totally different club then yeah yeah brand new started from scratch Okay, so there's Wimbledon at this point, which is in... So Wimbledon Football um, Club have been moved, to Milton, Milton moved to Milton Keynes into a temporary stadium, the hockey stadium. None of us, okay. none of the fans... And then you start AFC Wimbledon, yeah, yeah. which is a different club. Correct, from the scratch. Okay. We applied, Fan-owned. Yeah, we applied to join the Ryman League, but don't, don't quite make it, so we joined what's called the Combined Counties League. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that's the 7th or 8th tier of the football pyramid, so the bottom of the football pyramid. So Premiership would be the top of the yeah. football pyramid. Um during that point, uh, Wimbledon Football Club gets, although they said they'd never do any of this stuff, gets they gets renamed to Milton Keynes Dons, um, and gets the colours are changed, the crest is changed, all this kind of stuff. The things that they promised they would do, they never did. Um, you know, there's loads no of stuff anyway. So, but we weren't going there anyway because there's no way we didn't want to go to Milton Keynes. We'd been battling this, but the idea, basically, the premise was that there was no, you couldn't have a club in South London. It was not possible. So the idea of moving it was there was no way that it could go anywhere else. Since then, 
what's happened is we've progressed through the entire. Um, what, what, what was the what was the backstory of you couldn't have a club in South London? Was, Just nobody felt it was viable. Yeah, they said you lo we're losing money every week. There's no, we're not making any money. We can't move out of Sellers Park. We can't go and find a ground. I mean, again, us the fans at this point. There's lots of lying from the club and the chairman in lots of ways. That is mm -hmm. like long history. But we basically put towards proposals of the potential for a smaller stadium in South London. You know, to try and say, look, there are opportunities, but we need they. You know, they're going to take time and investment. But basically, the Norwegian owners wanted mm -hmm. they wanted out. We had a chairman who had they wanted to get yeah, shot. Yeah, the yeah. Thing. They 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 were interested in speedboat racing. We had a chairman from South Africa who'd never seen a game of football before he came to England, apparently, and was taken over us. You know, wow. it was a nightmare. So were they doing this as an investment type thing? Yeah, because they were they were told by Sam Haman that it was you know a, an up and coming Premier League club. You know, which wasn't really the truth of the facts. You know. And told that they were, we were about to move. I keep thinking you're saying Sam the man. I know. Well, um, so to, just to tighten it up a little bit. Yeah. So AFC Wimbledon started again, started right at the bottom, at the bottom. fought their way up. Yeah, we've been promoted. Um, and we were promoted and it took us nine. Where are you now? In the, We're in the same league as Milton Keynes. So that's the first division. Oh, so, so you've actually got back to the league yeah. where the Dons are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, so we actually every time Dons, you beat though. the Dons. No. We... Oh, what do you call them then? Milton Keynes, if I'm going to call them anything. If I wanted to be really funny, I'd... Oh, of course, the Dons is Wimbledon. You, yes. Sorry, sorry, if I was I being mean, a bit thick. If I wanted to be really funny, so we'd, the call Dons is Wimbledon. we'd call them franchise, because that's what they are. But we, we tend, you know... <sighs> so we did a bit of a campaign to get them to drop the Dons, but they, they seem to be uh, anti that. Although I think about, you know, like two Wimbledon fans followed them to Milton Keynes, so I don't know what that's about. They've kind of... Why? I don't understand that. I would have would have thought that if they moved to, to Milton Keynes... So when you said the Dons earlier... Because you were telling the story, I wasn't really concentrating. I wasn't. I was concentrating, but I didn't hear the Don's bit. And I thought Don's, and I was thinking Milton Keynes, and I couldn't really work out why those things didn't seem to fit. But you were so busy on the story, I just thought I'll listen to the story. And of course, when you say the Don's, it's not really Wimbledon, no. you know, because they're not in Wimbledon; they're in Milton Keynes. And I've been spoken in Milton Keynes many times. It's yeah. really nice yeah. uh, place. And, I mean, know? I think. I mean, and for me, you know, there's. Um... We did do a campaign for them to drop. So have the Dons played franchise? Say that again. You've well broken up then. <laughs> okay, you you well broke up as well. So um, I said, had the Dons played franchise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've played. Yes, we have now a number of times, obviously at various okay. points. I mean, um, and you know, and the records are sometimes. What sometimes? They what year did you end in this? What year did you end in the same league as 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 franchise? Uh, so 2002 took us nine years to become a league club. So that's League Two. So what was that? Two, I can't do the maths quick enough. Like, you know, 10, 11 years after starting up. Took us a while. Okay, so that would be around about 2013 yeah, or something. something. Like that. 2013, yeah, yeah. 14. I can't remember. I mean, I've... And are you still in the same league as franchise? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They've never... The thing and is, what league is that then? That's League One. They've never gone up since since they were okay. since the club was stolen and taken down the road. They haven't progressed anywhere. They've gone. They went basically down one league and stayed there. We've progressed by ten plus leagues, and I think some of that is they. they yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and some of that is that they've kind of, but they've kind of held on to this idea of a rivalry. I don't really have a rivalry with them. I don't think they should have existed in the way that they did, but the fact they. I understand. So you're now in League One. Yeah, yeah. And above League One is the Championship. Yeah. And then the Premier League. And then above the Championship, there's the Premier League. Yeah. And so 
as of so you are two leagues away from being in the Premier League. Yeah, and as of this season, we are. That's amazing. Yeah, and as of this season, we are moving back into a brand new stadium built on Plough Lane, which is effectively the other end of the road to where our original stadium was built. So the original stadium, once it was sold, it got turned into housing. We have now um, transformed what was the Wimbledon Greyhound Stadium. Uh, so we, that's obviously been uh, demolished. Brand new stadium, capacity of 10,000, uh, up to, go up 20,000. So we're, we're effectively moving back into South London. And again, proving all the things that the commission, the business owner said that couldn't happen, which was that we couldn't have yeah. a, There's nowhere a club could start. Sometimes you need an sometimes you need an enemy. You know, sometimes you just need an enemy to drive things forward. I think actually 37 Signals talk about that in one of their books. Um, you know, just trying to bring this back to software yeah. and UX and stuff. I think 37 Signals do talk about that. I'm not talking about the books, design of the know. shirts yet. Um, <laughs> No, I know. The shirts do look actually really nice. They're Puma shirts. Yeah, yeah, Puma. Um, I do I do love the Puma brand because, you know, I love the shape of the Puma. Yeah. Um, no, no, they've so, done some really yeah. good job. And basically, so um, one of the fans was in, involved with redesigning these. We've had quite fans involved for quite a bit, but basically there's lots of references. Oh, wow. So there's lots, on the home shirt, there's lots of references to our sort of Wimbledon Football Club in the 80s, that kind of stuff. We've got like mm-hmm. lines that reference sort of the direction of Southwest. Obviously, on the back, it says back to Palau Lane. And the away shirt has got some of these symbols here are to do with the crest of the borough. And so there's mm-hmm. lots of things sort of em- embroidered in the shirts. So that's why I got both, because I was like, oh, these are kind of kind of be a moment in history in terms of like they represent all these things. And, you know, um, we tend to keep our tops for every two, every two seasons anyway, um, rather than changing them every okay. season. It's something we agreed a long time ago. Um, so, yeah, so I went I went bananas and bought two. <laughs> basically but did you buy these for your for you, you do you buy these for your daughter as well evie yeah she only wanted a home one so that was okay <laughs> but unfortunately she's now no longer in the youth holy moly she's no longer in the youth uh, sizes so it was the same cost as an adult top oh, so. no way so you had to buy like so evie got, got a home tops, yeah. oh my word and adam got home and away wow yeah. i think one thing that we could we could you know tangentially relating this to teaching and education is that you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of this kind of franchise thing happening in universities at the minute you know so you might have for example a university of let's just make up a town like we'll call it the the university i'm just picking something off my desk which is a three card and it says hello at the top so we'll call them the university of hello um, and hello is maybe based somewhere in the middle of England or the north of England, for example. And then it has a campus in Taiwan mm-hmm. or, you know, or um, Abu Dhabi or the Saudi yeah, Arabia yeah. capital, Riyadh or something. And so universities have sort of become a bit like that in the sense of like franchising and expansion. And, you know, one of the things that I was reading about in, over the last week was about um the you know that just the the precarious nature of a lot of universities now they've expanded quickly they have um made a kind of real grab to get um overseas students um now because of the uh pandemic the a lot of those students aren't coming mm. anymore um even i was hearing last week or this week i can't remember when it was of universities which are chartering airplanes to bring people 
from China to to the UK. Yeah, I heard. For example, I did hear of that. I'm thinking, whoa, what, what? Yeah, what is happening to education? It's become this gigantic uh, money making machine, and obviously there are some parallels to the story that you just told. You know, nobody buys a a football club. Well, and some people would buy a football club because they're really deep down fans and they've made it in mm. big time and they've got some money and they really want to buy that club. Isn't Alan Sugar one of those people? Maybe not. He was at some <laughs> no point. Yeah, 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 he was at some point. But I mean, yeah, yeah no, I mean, no or, one buys a football or, club. Or people buy a club. Yeah. Or, but, or people buy a club because they want to make money out of it. Um, and, you know, there's there's just like a whole bunch of stuff that you can do with that club. You can have kits, you can have memorabilia, you can have you know, the ticket prices, you've got the TV rights, all of that kind of stuff. And in some respects, universities are a little bit like that in that you can have memorabilia and you can have scarves and all of that kind of stuff. Um, do you think that in the sense that, you know, the private sector has moved into the clubs and really made them trans transform themselves into much more ruthless business focused organizations. You think that that will happen in universities? Hmm. It's interesting. Really 10 years here, listeners <laughs> to the show, you know, but in the sense that, you know, yeah. to me, when I grew up and pr probably I'm a little bit older than you, but I do remember growing up when I was a kid probably about maybe 12, 13, 14. I moved from Hong Kong to Scotland. And I used to read like lots of football um, comics when I was a kid and you'd see somebody shooting a goal right into the top corner and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the clubs were run by people who were passionate about football. Um, and even when you look back on some of the footage that you see of players from the 60s, you know, they're walking on the pitch having a smoke, um, you know, and they're sort of walking around having a bit of a smoke, talking to somebody else, they're having a smoke. Um, and it's a bit like when you watch snooker from when I was a kid as well, you know, they would just drink alcohol and they would keep playing. And, you know, like, I think it was fair because everybody was absolutely shit faced, um, you know, and it's a bit like that when you look at football from the past yeah. and the football now. I mean, you would never see a player in a Premier League club on a pitch having a smoke. No, obviously not. No, no. I'm not even sure they would be allowed to have a smoke. No, they're, I mean, of course they're not. They would, they're out like, of the club or whatever, because... Because they're, they're totally different, you know. It's like a, no, the, the level of fitness is unbelievable. I mean, I don't, you know, I think uh, there was a Premier League player that obviously recently got in trouble for something in a, you know, in a bar in in uh, another country, which surprised me because I was like, yeah, I read about that. I was like, are they even allowed to go to bars? Like, sure, you know, for me. Yeah, I was quite surprised like, as well. You just, you yeah. guys, just like, you know, have. Proper, you know, they have dietitians. They have all this kind of stuff, you know, to because yeah. they are yeah. insanely fit. Because they are, uh, yeah, but they are also like walking pieces of value. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, yes. You know, they are walking bits of money. Um, and actually, I've been watching. I don't know if you've been watching the. You have, you've got Netflix, haven't you? Yeah. The last. Uh, it's not called the last tour. Or do you know the Magic Johnson? Yeah. The Netflix series about Magic Johnson. It's called the last. Um, crikey, hang on a minute. I'm going to have to get my internet up. Um, yeah, I watched so, the thing about the Chicago uh, Bulls, but I've not seen that one. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's a whole season. It's a whole. It's a whole ten episode thing. It's called. Um, what is it called? Um, oh my word, Netflix is The Last Dance. Okay. It's called The Last Dance. And it's fascinating. Um, like, you know, I'm not that into sports, not as much as you anyway. Um, and a few friends I tweeted maybe six months ago and said, you know, is this worth watching? Um, because I tweeted about a basketball manager and his how he'd dealt with a player on the 
on the pitch and he was really like, oh, you played so well today and this was incredible. And he was incredibly supportive of this player. And I said, you know, this is really interesting from a leadership point mm. of view. Um, and then because of that, I, you know, someone else had said, oh, you should watch this Last Dance thing. And I started watching it and thought, this is fascinating. The only problem with it, it's a bit long. It's like 10 episodes. But one of the things that it does do is it sort of dives deep into the different players. Um, and, oh, crikey, there's a famous player whose name I now cannot remember um, who is in this amazing team that is on the last dance. Um, and he was in The Apprentice, um, this this player. Um, crikey, where oh, okay. is it? The, last well, the Apprentice, dance. I need to find. USA Apprentice, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, so if I find out um, Last Dance, The Last Dance, we might find it. Um, mini-series. So it, it looks through different players' um, perspectives and things. So there's obviously Michael Jordan. Um, Scotty Pippen is another person who gets yeah, quite yeah. a... You yeah. know, Scotty Pippen is interesting because he's, you know, he signs a deal for, let's say, five years or ten years or something because he just needs the money and he needs the stability. And then within a year or two, they're thinking, Craggy, this guy's so underpaid. But he's locked into the contract, a bit like Lionel Messi is at the minute. Um, and Dennis Rodman is the person I'm thinking yep. of. So Dennis yes. Rodman is this incredible Such an player and really, um, yeah, really interesting character and dyes his hair and has face full of, of, of metal and nose rings, all kinds of stuff. And they talk in one of the episodes, maybe episode five or six or something, uh, where Dennis Rodman is the focus about the need to sometimes just let Dennis go. And so you see him sort of like coming out of the club. They've just won a game or something. He drives off on a big Harley Davidson with a bunch of other people. And then he goes off to, um, uh, what's the place where they do all the gambling? Las Vegas. Um, Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like, who knows what's happening in Vegas, but it's definitely not, you know, stuff that you would really want no, a, you, yeah. a highly professional, so it's the same, it's worth the same, a ton of money yeah, player doing. the same doing. one I watched. I just re I realised it's the same series, yes, which is so good. I mean, yeah, Rod, I mean, yeah, all of those players, I mean, that's where I was really into basketball with the, when all those players were coming. So I loved watching that because, yeah, Rodman, Pippen, Jordan, they were all amazing yeah. players and they were characters. It's a really interesting... Yeah, and and also I th I watched it as well, thinking. But see, I'd seen Dennis Rodman before on The Apprentice USA, so he was on The Celebrity Apprentice, and I was like, "Who's this guy? I'd never heard of this guy before." But he was really interesting character, and so when I saw he was on this team, uh, the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls, I was like, "Oh, this is fascinating." And you know, then I learned a little bit more about the background of him, and I just thought it was interesting that they, you know, the coach of the team, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, um, he was like, "Look, we just sometimes we just have to let him go." <laughs> And he just goes off for three or four yeah. days and just totally goes nuts and then comes back and then he's like totally super awesome. Yeah. You know, and I got the, the sense that he was coming back literally having the day before done tons of drugs and tons of alcohol and tons Probably. of bad things. And then he was like right back on the court and amazing, yeah. you know, and it was incredible. And I just think you wouldn't really get away with that no, these days. Oh, no way. No you way. know, it's like a whole different era because this is 97 to 98 is that season, the last dance season. Um, but the other thing that's interesting about it, watching it from a leadership point of view, is that there's a lot of politics, um, you know, the, the coach and the manager and the players. Mm. And, you know, there's a huge amount of politics that I suspect you might not get away with anymore. Like, for example, Scotty Pippen um, scheduled some surgery um, <laughs> to clash with a game, which they kind of feel like is, uh, you know, payback because he wasn't let out of his contract and paid more money. Um, you know, and then there's other issues like the last episode I watched where, you know, Magic Johnson was retiring 
um, uh, or is it Magic Johnson? No, that, I'm thinking of a different guy. Magic Johnson's another one. But Michael Jordan was yes. retiring. Play baseball. Um, right at the time he was involved in a big gambling thing. And then he kind of came back after a season or two of playing baseball yeah, yeah. and joined the team again. And I was like, what the hell? And they paid him while he was... They paid him at his uh, amazing rate of pay for being in the Bulls while he was playing baseball at, not at that rate at that level yeah, it is, I was it like is, what man. is going on here yeah you you, know, the whole thing was a bit weird it's definitely very different a lot of sport these you know in that sense for, for sure and I just wonder if if you know are we going to see something similar happen in education right we already have this idea of celebrity um lecturers and celebrity teachers already um you know if you go on to for example let's say um American universities, you'll have somebody who's a really celebrated author or celebrated whatever, you know, and they teach on a, on a particular course. And Liz Danzico's done a really good job of that in, in uh, SVA Manhattan, where she has like, I mean, her, her list of VL's guest lectures is like a who's who of amazing people. Um, but then I, I think if you look at that on, say, Skillshare, you've also got the same thing happening where you've got... Um, Oh my goodness, uh, Dan Mal is doing uh, courses on design systems and you have Jessica Hish, who, you know, so there's this idea of the superstar lecturer type person, whether they're inside the system or outside the system. And I wonder, are we going to see more of that happen as universities start to become a little bit more like franchises and a little bit more like these big things? Yeah, I mean, I do wonder whether they need... I'm kind of tenuously pulling pulling a link together no, no, between I... education and, and, and football. And I think there's some parallels there. Yeah, man, I think I wonder whether, you know, for me it's more, I don't, you know, for me it's all that idea of sort of specialising I think could be quite interesting. You know, we have we have seen universities sort of offering everything and I wonder whether there's a move yeah. to to say, that, you know, these this is what we're strong at and, and less dilution of those kind of subject areas perhaps. That may well happen because you can't sustain everybody that, doing everything. That was something... You know. That was something that was in the, um, in the episode of the the podcast, mm. the BBC Sounds thing that we'd listened to, which I thought was interesting. Like there was, I can't remember, Sunderland, yeah. where the VC was talking. He was like, this is what we do. We're focused on health and we're good at this and we've decided to stop doing all of these things. I think that there's no, there's no harm in that. I think there's no harm in going to a particular university because they're really good at this. Um, and I certainly get a sense that, I don't know. I mean, I, as, as I'm leaving Belfast School of Art, I look at, I can talk as a bit of an outsider, even though I'm an insider. And I think that they're trying to make a push into animation and games because they have new game yeah. stuff coming on stream and interaction and, they're, you know, media. They're, they're sort of really trying to make a big push in Belfast School of Art to, to tackle all of these connected forms of media, whether it's, you know, connected products or games or whatever. My concern is that, you know, if every university does that and you lose every silversmithing department, yeah. um, you know, there are skills that will die out. Um, yeah, know. that's the, yeah. That is obviously the issue of a lot of this stuff. Is it's then it comes down to an economic uh, sort of position, which is always really bad, you know. And I, and again, for me, it's that idea of like, you know, if if running a games course, you know, in a university allows uh, a more, you know, an area that's maybe seen as more niche, whether that's I don't know knitwear or silversmithing or whatever it is, you know, to to be able to to, to exist and to continue then that's a positive thing. You know, I think there's always going to be some programs that support other programs just because there's less people currently interested in that. But it doesn't mean it's an, not a valuable thing mm -hmm. to, to work out. But then I do wonder whether then 
Well, there, I mean, but some of it is very specialised. So it's like, I don't know how many places do silversmithing, but I guess it's, you know, the, is there a dilution of that anyway? So could you figure out a way to say, okay, what about if we make sure it's supported, but it's only supported in three institutes rather than six institutes? I don't know. I mean, it's not... I mean, yeah, my, my, my worry about some of those things is that you end up with it being uh, that some courses are expensive to run and others are cheaper to yeah. run, um, you know, and, you know, there's a, if there's a free for free for all move towards specialism and saying, right, this is what we do. Well, you know, there's going to be a bit of a land grab for, you know, um, everyone will want to teach topics that are, you know, like, for example, labs that you can just fill yeah. empty fill empty fill and then never empty you know um that that's easy to do in our sector because you just get some computers and you fill them with stuff and and then they those because computers are bicycles for the mind as steve jobs said you just change the software and boom you're ready to do the next thing sort of thing whereas in silversmithing or ceramics or fine art or painting you know, those things require big studios. They require people to be in all the time. They require quite a lot of space, which is resource intensive. Um, ceramics and, and uh, silversmithing and jewelry require quite a lot of power uh, to fire kilns and to, okay. they also require gas and there's a lot of health and safety. And, you know, if you or I was a VC and we were running a franchise, we would want to get rid of anything that was, you know, cost per student. We'd be thinking, we can't do this anymore. It's too, it's too expensive. And that's what concerns me slightly. Um, yeah, I think that would be. A, anyway, I think that would be massively um, detrimental, obviously, because it it, destroy, it will, you know, destroys culture, and it's all about again comes back to the idea of just it's about the economy, and that isn't what makes, is mm. what make, makes for a rich society, is it? You know, um, and I think we'd all. It's, com it's so complicated. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, or that I'd suggested when we when I was out walking earlier, was. Um, looking at the idea of opening up education to more people um, through guest lecture programs and opening the doors for those things. There's a Fast Company, um, Fast Co Design article uh, that I might put a link into the show notes, which is the US education system is in crisis. Now is the time to reinvent it. Uh, the problem of how to educate the country's more than 73 million children. It's focused on the, the, the younger age, but there's lots that we could learn from it, I'm sure. sure, you know, has given us a once in a generation opportunity to make schools more equi equitable. Will we seize it? And and I, I am wondering about the opportunity because I'm going into my final semester and I've been talking to, you know, some good designers who are nothing to do with Belfast School of Art and some of my graduates who are sort of, you know, who I'm incredibly proud of. And I've put together a guest lecture program, which is shaping up at the minute on Monday mornings, which I'm opening up to my second year and final year students. That's the two sets of students I'm teaching but I'm thinking of opening up to anyone um you know if you're free at 10 30 or 10 o'clock to 11 um you know so no it's not 10 it's like 10 30 no 10 to 10 30 I do the introduction we talked about last week yeah. where I say this is the this person here's why I think they're interesting here are some of the lessons I think that we could learn from them and then they come on for about 45 minutes and do a Q&A so it's kind of short. I mean, it probably could be compressed into an hour, actually. Uh, but it's an opportunity to learn from some interesting designers who are, by and large, making their own products um, and who have taken the leap into make, designing their own things. Um, and my immediate reaction when I started to put it together was, you know, we should just open this to everybody. Um, you'd mentioned before that you had done this, but it hadn't been as successful as in nobody showed up. 
presumably nobody showed up except for your students. Yeah. So basically, the way that we did it was we made a num. We have a guest. We have a guest lecture series as well, which is predominantly aimed at the third year students because it's just basically different perspectives on the industry they're about to go into and to kind of get them to think about their projects in that in that way, but also to think about them really broadly. So we get you know a range of people who are running companies or independents or people embedded in large companies just to show that there's this broad range um, and so we have a talk but mm -hmm. i open that up to that's open to everyone so uh we we do let other you know if other students want to come and it's of interest they can come to that talk 45 minutes we also allow members of the public to come if they wanted to but we but I, you know i don't go out of my way to advertise it massively and it's on camp it was you know has always been on campus uh, but that's the proviso is that mm. anyone come but main like other than a couple of specific things so when we had uh, mary claire as the ceo of women in games that did attract a bunch of um masters and graphics students but most other things they see them as too specialized mm. so they don't kind of see necessarily right. or it doesn't fit with their timetable because it's kind of designed around my timetable yeah and then what we do though is that is open for everyone but the, all those guest speakers the Q&A is only for the final year students. So the, the actual kind of like, let's have a, I want to have a mm, chat with the, you know, about my project or ask some very specific questions. And that is just for the final year. So, you know, if every, I kind of say everyone's welcome to come. If it fits with what you're doing, this is when it is because it works for the third years and you can come to the talk. But what, you, what you're not able to come to because we have to limit the numbers so that we can get more value is the, is the actual bit where mm. that guest will go around the studio or in, in the future, go around the Zoom rooms or whatever it is, or the Teams rooms, yeah, the yeah, Slack yeah. rooms, and just talks to two or three students at a time or even one-to-one, -one, you know. So that's a bit different to a Q and A. Then yeah, that's yeah. more of a kind of uh, that's more of a kind of limited opportunity for that guest to spend a bit of time with a handful of students and then make their way around the studio. Yes. Whereas to me, a Q and A on this kind of thing, the way I'm thinking of it, would be open to everybody. I think to be fair now, you know, I've as you know, I ran a COVID lecture series with Kara during the first part of the lockdown, and when we, when it went to Q and A, we didn't always get questions. No. Um, because some people were stressed and they didn't really want to ask a question because they didn't want to look like an idiot. Yeah. And I think that there's an opportunity there to open the questions up to anybody. Um, and at least then you might get some questions. Um, so yeah. I, I understand what you're talking about. You're you're talking about an opportunity for people to spend a bit of time with that person. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I'm wondering had... how scalable that is. Well, it's, 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 for me, yeah. for me in the School of Design, it's, for example. Yeah, I don't know. You know. It's not that scalable. I mean, we were doing like, yeah, 45 minutes. No, not at all. We were doing like 45 minutes and then anyone could ask questions for the last 10 minutes. But same as you, really, there was very little questions because people didn't want to ask stuff out loud necessarily or the, or the talk had covered... The material they were interested in and it was more the app you know the students did benefit from the application of being able to talk one-to-one and one-to-few with that person but do, what do you think it's just fear um the the q a part because when i compare the um the covid 19 lecture series that i'm doing or that i was doing um with kara's help and the uh the founder firesides that we were doing on propel um on propel you have 21 companies who are all desperately hungry to ask questions um you know and we get somebody like let's imagine it's dennis rodham who comes on you know we're all going to have questions we're going to have far too many questions to be able to ask him um and there's just no way we'll get round a room whereas with students even final year students and master students 
I found it a bit frustrating that they just wouldn't answer, ask any questions. Yeah. It's like, even if you say, don't worry, there's no stupid questions. It's all cool. You know, this is your chance to ask Dennis Rodham about some of his incredible experiences. You would still get people, students who just wouldn't want to ask because they just don't have the confidence. And I'm wondering what can we do to address that and to improve it? Um, you know, because one of the things that I, has come out of my mentoring, which we were talking about at the start and we didn't, I don't think we're putting into the program because I wouldn't have any clients ever, um, was that, um, you know, a big part of what I'm teaching is confidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, these people already have degrees for the most part. Um, and they're all, I think they're quite talented in the two I'm working with at the minute. Well, there's three or four I'm working with, but the two are top of mind for me. You know, they're really talented. They're really keen to learn. They are hungry for knowledge. Um, and they will break off your, you know, they would, if they would, if they had a chance to ask questions, they would be bazillions of questions. But one thing that they lack is not, is confidence. Um, you know, you, you do a presentation and you can see that they're a little bit nervous about it. And I'm thinking, you have to step up to this job now. You, you know, you're, you know, one of, one of them who I was talking to this morning, um, he said the last time I made a presentation actually was back on IXD. And I thought, wow, you know, you've been out for 18 months. I would have thought that, you know, as a designer, you'd be presenting quite a lot. Mm. Um, but maybe some jobs just don't give you that opportunity. I don't know. You know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I do. I think the students. For me, for me, I'm I'm thinking we should run those those sessions and we should open them up to the public. I'm interested to know if there'll be any complaints. You know, as in, well, that was during uh, university time on a Monday morning, and you know, I felt that should have just been for us. Uh, you know, as in second years and final years. Whereas I'm thinking. If someone's on doing a Zoom talk, we may as well just open the doors to anybody that wants to attend. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't see why it would issue complaints other than if the students felt that the the opportunity for Q&A, for example, was overtaken by yeah. the members that had not, were not the, you know... Professionals. Yeah, yeah, were not the ones who were on the course or whatever. So I suppose there's that. But if it's the same, you know, so again, it also depends on the speaker whether they're happy for it to be open that way, I suppose. I, don't, I mean, I'm not sure. Um, most of the speakers who I'm approaching at the minute, I am saying, look, um, this is uh, part of the proviso. I would like you to do it, but I will be opening the doors to anybody to attend. Up to 100 people, because that's what my Zoom will accommodate. Yeah. And I think probably there's maybe 40-ish students in second year and final year uh together 40 45 50 somewhere around there so there's opportunities i don't think it i don't think the doors are going to be beaten down and there's going to be thousands of people banging on the door to try and get a ticket um i suspect it'll be I've, five to ten people max i think again with the same because it's a monday morning I, and it, it's during work time i mean i think know. again to be honest if i was opening up my initial open up would be to the school of art and just but it's in the sense that it's open open and wouldn't you know? Wouldn't go, wouldn't yeah. Go too beyond that. I don't know because it depends what the benefit is for opening it up. For me, opening it up to the to the rest of the school is a benefit because there might be there are students on other programs, fashion, marketing, or whatever, who would be interested in getting mm. a bit of an insight from a from a games perspective. Um, you know, and the other mm -hmm. re and some of the reasons for opening it up to be a public event that people could join was it helped with getting in guests that were a lot more. That had, if they had, if they were giving a talk, it had to be public. 
because of like maybe visas and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, you know. So there were one-off specials, those kind of things. This was what you were talking about with the HR. Yeah, yeah. Because if this is what you're talking about with the you HR do like thing. One-off special. Okay, I understand then that. Sometimes you have to make sure that one-off special is is open to the public, and then it's a, it can be accommodated. I mean, it's very the, the the rules are different depending on all kinds of different things, visas and whatever, and also depending on your HR. So it can be. And, and on the speaker and what they are able to do. Mm -hmm. Some have very particular restrictions on the type of kind of talk they can or can't do. So... Do you pay these speakers then? We always offer them a fee, yeah. And what kind of fee is that? Uh, I probably can't say. Are you able to talk about that? Probably not. Okay, you can't talk about that. Yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. It was just out of me before I suddenly thought, oh, maybe you feel a bit uncomfortable answering well, they that were, They all get offered a, I, I had, offered um, a flat fee that is uh, a fee that is sensible. Is it the same? Yeah, it's always the same. And it's a fee that you'd expect from an education company. So it's not a lot of money, you know, uh, and it's the same thing. Yeah, it's interesting because while I'm working on the Kickstarter stuff just now, I've been thinking about the fee for, you know, let's say you're part of season one, which is um, rethinking everything. Um, I'm going to approach you and say, I'd really like you to do a talk. The reason I'd like you to do a talk is you're reimagining education. And this whole thing is about rethinking everything. And I think it would be really interesting to get you to speak. Um, the fee is, I don't know, I'm working on that at the minute. You know, I was talking to a friend who's a speaker, a professional speaker. Um, and I'm also a professional speaker. I've been paid to speak before. And he said, you know, a thousand euros was kind of like this recent... Uh, event he'd done which was a zoom thing and i thought oh that's interesting but it was a talk whereas what i'm actually talking about is more of a q a and it's like i can pay you a certain amount of money but it won't be a thousand euros because it's nothing to prepare it's just i need your time mm -hmm. for an hour um possibly a little bit longer than an hour because i need to ask you a few questions by email like what do you want me to focus on when i introduce you the, the reality is that most of the people I'm asking, I already know what their story is because I've either taught them or I've worked with them or I think they're interesting mm -hmm. and I've spent a lot of time looking at them. But for every single person I've said, you know, there's no fee, there's, there's no fee for the BSA, the Balfour School of Art one, because there's just no money at the minute. You know, there's no money for VLs for me at all. So I just said, look, this is a kind of goodness of your heart. But if you're coming to speak at the School of Design, there would be a fee, but I'm just not sure what's fair um and i was talking to car about it and we felt maybe 200 dollars pounds something like that you know for an hour of your time i don't know it's it's difficult you want to pay people so that you value their time yeah. but you also and i def definitely don't want to do this i don't want to pay some people this much money like a thousand and other people a hundred i hate that yeah. it annoys it annoys me um, because I think like everybody has something to share, um, regardless of how much of a quote superstar you are, um, you know, that what I'm trying to do is something that's much more open to as many people as possible. And, yeah. you know, so I'm not really paying superstar fees. And if someone was to say to me, cause Karen and I were discussing this yesterday, if someone was to say to me, well, yeah, my normal rate is 5,000 pounds and that's all I could do. I'd be saying, well, thank you. But you know, that's not going to work with what we're doing, but I appreciate your time. Um, but um, we're not paying that kind of thing. Uh, we just can't, you know. No, I mean that's the um, the thing. It's interesting. That's the thing with a lot of this. I mean, uh, yeah, same thing. We pay the same amount to whatever person, and and everyone has been super generous. You know, whether it's a CEO of a large company or whether it's an alumni who'd graduated a year ago just to talk about their experience. Yeah, they all get the same amount. I've never had any kind of issues with that. The only time we've had people who wanted who did require or 
who we would want to get into the country, for example, and wanted more money. All we've ever, yeah, all we've ever done yeah, then is kind of club. What we've done is club together and say, actually, we'll really make sure this is open to to these programs. But one program can't afford it, so we will each pay the fee uh, towards. Okay. So, so when you say club together, you and a number of other courses all combine yeah. your pool your resources. That's quite sensible. Um, so we never pay. I think a that amount. one of the things about Zoom, yeah, one of the things about Zoom is it's a big leveler. Um, you know. That there's very little, you know, there's no flights, there's no, you know, and that's one of the things that interests me about education now, because we've already been through a period in the last end of the last semester where people have been used to being taught on Zoom. Um, and what was a bit unusual is now entirely commonplace. Um, you know, I had done some Zoom lectures. I think we talked about this in an earlier episode where, you know, I was doing some Zoom stuff because the people happened to be not here and, you know, it was easier. Um, and they'd offered to do a talk, but the only way to do it was via Zoom uh, because maybe they didn't want to come to Belfast. Nothing to do with COVID. They just didn't have the time. Um, and that felt a bit weird. We were like, OK, we've got um, this person here, Adam, who's beaming in from Wimbledon. Um, he's one of the Dons, not one of the franchise. And he's going to be talking to us about blah, 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 blah. Um, and it was a bit odd that we were in a studio projecting that yeah, person who was coming in via Zoom. But at the same time, it shouldn't feel odd. That should feel you know, normal, yeah. um, you know, and I remember going to an episode of, of Brooklyn Beta, um, a, an amazing conference in Brooklyn uh, a few years ago where they had a, a lady from Rookie magazine and she was beaming in via, there was no Zoom at the time, I don't think she was beaming in via um, Skype. Yeah. And I remember at the time thinking, wow, Chris and Cameron are really at the edge here. And there were aspects of that that were a little bit fragile because sure. the infrastructure wasn't a hundred percent up to speed as to where it could be but at the time i remember thinking wow there's no reason we couldn't get anyone from anywhere to talk at any event just using the the network yeah, yeah. um and one of the things we've been through because of covid is that's now entirely normal you know where once it was a bit like oh look at this this is something we should uh, remark on because it's really different and unusual now that's just like standard mm. you know yeah. And so going back to university, even when we get back into the buildings and back into the campus, et cetera, you may still want to use the Zoom lecture, actually, because yeah. it opens up the capabilities more. No, that's I mean, that's exactly you know? how I've planned my um, although we've got you know guidance for some things to be online rather than be in the studio. But we're doing a blended thing. But all of my guest talks now are this is going to yeah. be via Slack or Teams, you know, and this is this is the format we want to go with. Mm -hmm. And. I don't, I'm not sure I will change that going forward, even if we have 100%, because they have, Ever, they have to yeah. get, you know, they have to get to Winchester and the fee didn't change mm -hmm. whether they had to buy a train ticket or not, you know, so they're actually mm. making more money by not traveling in that sense because they don't have to pay for their train yeah, ticket. Yeah, 100%. And they're not losing all that time. Yeah. All they're giving is the time for the exact, for the, for the exact talk and whatever. They're not, there's no travel. I mean, of course, the, you know, the issue with that is that, when they did come, they would come for pretty much the day and I would, you know, entertain them and we'd have conversations about projects and all this kind of stuff. So it opened up more opportunities. So that is something that yeah. would possibly be missed by that. But it doesn't mean Yeah, it would be missed. Yeah, but I think if you spread if you split it up, it might be a case of like, look, do a talk and then get some lunch, we'll have a chat and then we'll do a Q and A or whatever. So maybe you need to build in that that chat 
to sort of get to know them yeah. and whatever because that is you know making those connections with the network as much as tutors is as important as students because it's that's what yeah i also i also think with the physicality and travel and time and you know getting on a plane or getting on a train or whatever it kind of sometimes makes sense to bring someone over for more than one day yes. Um, like, you know, I used to, that's how it used to work at the new digital school. You know, if, if I was going to fly over to, uh, the first session I ran for Tiago, I was there for a week, yeah. which because of flights and the way things work, ended up me being out of Belfast for about seven days because I needed a, a day at either end to travel. And then the second time they invited me back, I said, look, I can't come for that long. It's, it's too long out of my schedule. Mm. Um, so could we do three days? And that still ended up being around about four days yeah, with the yeah. travel and stuff. But I don't think I would have gone for less than three days because, you know, three days is enough time to uh, set a brief, um, cover what you do, tell them why, yeah. you know, you should be there in the first place and then get them to work on a brief together, but also have that quality time one to one or one to two or one to three or whatever. And I'm wondering how that would work with Zoom. You know, I think you just, would you yeah. be able to, let's say, yeah, let's say we had Aaron Draplin speaking uh and he's coming in via zoom um how's the you know the small i suppose you could use breakout rooms but it's not quite the same yeah i think i mean that's what i'm going to be trying to begin with is breakout rooms to see how it goes you know because i think that would be the yeah. easiest way to manage it but it isn't the same um and i do think it depends on the content and what you're doing you know some of the things like you say if it's a if it's a proper workshoppy thing then yeah you need them yeah you need them there for a day or so more Certainly, we've had like yeah. we've had moving brands come in to talk about like augmented reality and do some work with the students, with us to do like we did some Lego serious play stuff and whatever. There's no way we could have done that without them being there because it was walking around the studio doing those you know yeah. looking at the things they've made with Lego and discussing the bits. Mm. But you know, but obviously the beginning was a talk which could have been, I mean, it could have been pre-recorded in some capacity. And maybe we could have maximized the time yeah. that they were on campus. This, you know, I think it's just, we've got to think differently a little bit about some of those things and say, okay, what is the value? I think that's a really, really good idea. I think that's a really good idea. It's like, if you bring somebody like Moving Brands for a day, you know, the talk part is going to eat up probably two hours minimum. Um, and so you've you've minimized or you've taken off two hours from, let's say, a seven-hour day, uh, you know, and, don't, and then we've got to factor in some food because they've got to eat. Um, and something to drink because yeah. um, they've got to, you know, survive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then suddenly the amount of time we have for them to do one-to-ones or small group tutorials yeah. or whatever is massively reduced. Yeah. So there's no reason that they couldn't do a talk the week before via Zoom and then come onto the campus the week later and then you get a chance to, oh, you're right, this person's not new. So, for example, going to this new digital school, I would do my talk the week before. They're like, oh, I know this person. I've had a chance to explore their work. I think they're really interesting. And I would say that of any peer group, let's say 20 students, there would be five who desperately want to really talk yes. to you. Uh, Ten who are kind of interested in talking to you, but not that desperate. And five who, frankly, don't give a toss. Um, you know, yeah, so when in, you come to actually in, well, they're, inhabit they're, they're the they're room, more in other the people, people than you. <laughs> those five <laughs> yeah or other thing other activities i was gonna say um but that would be the same for all students so you've got yeah, a yeah. cohort of 20 students and no, you've totally got um aaron draplin coming and five students are like no oh, they can't wait for aaron draplin where other people are like 
Yeah, Aaron Draplin, I think he's a bit overrated, actually. Um, I'm not saying Aaron is overrated at all. <laughs> I think he's amazing. Um, and then, or Dan Mal, you know, someone yeah. else is like, yeah, design systems. I live for design systems, where someone else is like, oh, God, design systems is so yes, boring. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's going to work out quite well. And by doing the Zoom talk, you're going to get a chance to get a feel for that That's person's true. work yeah, yeah. before they arrive, yeah. you know. Yes. And then you could almost say, if you want to spend a bit of time with Aaron Draplin, uh, write me half a page of A4 and tell me why you should be picked. Mm. Yeah, the people who were inspired by his talk will spend the time writing that half page of A4. Yeah. And the people who are less inspired won't. That's true. Know? I mean, that's how you could make it scalable because your guest speakers are always going to appeal to different students, aren't they? Or different learners. So yeah, yeah, it could yeah. Be that's a, a really interesting a idea. Saying, well, you know, this the scalability of this person is t you can do 10 one-to-ones. Uh, and like you say, and I've had yeah. the same thing. We've had people come in who I think everyone will want to talk to, and they don't. There's only there's a handful that really want to talk to that person because it's because it's pushed all their buttons, you know. And they're like, I need to tell this person about my project. And there's other people who are like, ah, they won't be interested in my project. Now that might not be true. They might well have been interested, but they've made that mm. decision. So I think, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm fairly sure that all the people who are guest lectures will find everybody interesting, exactly, actually. Exactly. Um, I do know that when we when we were on Propel, and maybe this is the scalable aspect that I need to think about, you know, when Susan um, O'Malley from IDEO um, spoke about IDEO and design thinking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and Chris said, you know, if you want a session with Susan, you have to you have to pitch to me why. Yeah, that makes loads and of I'm, sense. Well, and I made it my business. Like, I am absolutely going to have a session with Susan. And if you don't give me one, I want to know why, you know? <laughs> um, but there was other people who, I mean, Susan was amazing, but there was other people who were like, well, look, a design is important, but it's not really it's for not me. Thing, yeah. uh, and I'm like, whoa, design's important for everybody. Um, <laughs> yes. But, you know, that, that kind of worked quite well. The more I'm talking about this, the more I'm thinking that my vision of having 500 plus people in a Slack group and a play group and all of that kind of stuff will work for certain things, but will not scale for this. Yeah, yeah. And I am wondering if I need to be running some kind of smaller cohort of people, 20 people who are doing something like a digital product design or product design workshop. Um, you know, that if I got someone like, let's say, uh, let's say I get Dan Mal to come and do a talk um, and I've got, all the people from the 500 people, 300 decide they're showing up. Um, but the people who are in the cohort of 20 who are on a different experience, they get a chance if they'd like to, to talk to Dan. And then I pay Dan for a day of his time and just say, all I need you to do is be available on Zoom. And these five people want to talk to you. Or yeah. I say to Dan, I have five people who'd really like to talk to you. Can you slot them in and then bill me for five hours? Yeah, yeah. I think that would be the way. To, Something like that. Yeah, I think that would be the way to do it. I mean, I think there's, you know, you, I think the thing yeah, is you've got to. I, I need to write about this. Balance those things up and work out what you know, and also like you say, it's ta it's kind of, but then it becomes tailored in the right way. They, those students, they they're picking yeah. the things they want to yeah. join up yeah. to, you know, and I, I think it might be you know, some of it might be so, you know, it's that classic, and I think we're gonna have to end because you've got stuff to do. But I think it's that classic of like, yeah, here's yeah. you know, sign up for this thing. But there's only so many slots. Yeah. You know, we have workshops where it's like, yeah. sign up if you want to do this workshop, but we cannot accommodate more than this many people this week. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's um, unfair. It just means that those who really want to do it have to be on the ball and signing up for those slots. And when the slots are gone, the slots are gone. But they're not going to sign up. Sure, you might. I want to ask. Go on. 
I want to ask one last question before we stop because we're at 57 minutes. You talked earlier about um, the, you know, we've got this person there, there, let's say it's Aaron Draplin because it's a useful shorthand um, and he's going to come and do a talk um, in Winchester um, and we just can't afford his fee because five grand, we just don't have five grand. And so you go around all your courses and you find five courses that have a grand each and then you say, right, collectively we're going to pool our resources and we'll have Aaron for a day or do a talk or whatever. Do you see there being an opportunity to to do that, but beyond the institution? So, for example, Belfast School of Art and Winchester School of Art and the School of Design decide that having Aaron Draplin would be an amazing experience. And we would like him to do a Zoom talk. And this is a partnership between Belfast, the School of Design and Winchester. And we're all going to put in one and a half thousand pounds each. Do you think that we're at the point in rethinking education where that might work? I mean, I'd hope so, you know, I would hope so, but I don't, I just don't know the level of, um, for me, I'm not competitive in that, in, in that sense, you know, you know, I like us to win football, but I'm not competitive against other universities. Yeah, neither am I. In education, so I, I mean, I would be of like, course. I'd be like, yeah, let's yeah. do it, you know, but I don't, I mean, but I don't see any devaluing in that, because opening up, opening up all that stuff, I just don't see any devaluing, you know, I would have all my, on. I'd have all my teaching materials freely available everywhere if that was a if that was a yeah, an option yeah me too because i think it's not there's no devaluing in that sense it's, it's so i would hope so so imagine you had a guest lecture program right and it was let's say it was on a monday morning's probably not the best time but it was a thursday afternoon yeah. for example um and it was scheduled for four okay um and it was broadly of interest to anybody doing anything with a computer essentially sure. uh games or interaction or graphic design or etc and you put together a guest lecture program and you had anthony burrell quite a famous uh, graphic designer you had us two games uh you had moving brands and you really aimed for a top quality um you know really top 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 drawer kind of experience and you partnered between 12 or let's say well a university semester for us is 12 weeks what's mm -hmm. your semester yeah same difference 12 weeks roughly so you said 10 talks okay and um, we're going to put together a program and it's thursday afternoon it's all on zoom anyone can join from these universities okay i personally would just open it to anybody and you put together an incredible guest lecture program and you invite everybody to come along and you take the total cost because let's say you had Anthony Burrell or Mr. Bingo is another person. You know, these people, there's a certain level below which they wouldn't charge. Even if it was soon, they'd be like, look, that's the rate, you know, and you'd be like, OK. Ooh. And then you add them all up and you divide by 10 because you've got 10 organizations who are part of this thing. And then you put together a part of the website and you just maybe a separate website and you say, you know, designchampions.com or something. And, you know, this is a partnership between Winchester School of Art, Belfast School of Art, the School of Design, the Royal College. They probably wouldn't want to be part of it because they already do amazing things and they probably would see it as devaluing their brand. Um, but we, you know, Glasgow School of Art, Edinburgh College of Art, etc. Uh, that's something that would be interesting to see. Would that fly? I think the thing with that, the reason I think that could fly is if because you could get if you could get those big hitters. That's the thing we've talked about internally. Yeah. It's like if we went and said, you get to talk to the entire school of art because we think fashion, you know, design, games will all be interested. So we're going to club together because yeah. we... So I think, yeah, you know, if you... if So, for example, if we did that and it was Vivian Westwood giving a talk, then it would totally be worth it because 
everyone would get the there'll be enough yes. money to raise to give it to her you know <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so i just wrote you can't read my writing i yeah. just wrote sir paul yeah. smith um you know and and you had these people who were really really top of their game yeah. and then you tried to you know i mean i know somebody who's in uh central st martin's rachel dixon she was our associate head of school she's now dean in central st martin's i'm I'm beginning to wonder if this is something that we could maybe take a lead on at the School of Design because we're outside of the system and we will always be outside of the system. So we would perhaps be able to approach um, more traditional organizations and say, look, here's this idea. We're going to put together this Zoom lecture program and we're going to partner on it and we're going to run it. And all we need you to do is to take a tenth of the cost and you know, yeah. pay that a tenth. I mean, if, yeah, if, yes. I mean, I think if you came to me and said, look, we can get Vivian Westwood to give a talk, but what we all we need from you is to be able to let us know if you can fit into this slot. You know, here's the time slot. So timetable is obviously an issue. But say I was like, okay, that looks pretty yeah. good. Four o'clock because most of our stuff finishes at four anyway. Um, and all yeah. you've got all you've got to do is give us X amount of cash, and you know, or what's your how much do you pay your fee? We'll take your fee money and combine it together, and we know what everyone's fees are. And you can have a talk where your students can get access to hearing a specific talk from Vivian Westwood. I'd be like, yeah, here's like, here, send the, you know, if whatever way we can do it, here's the money, sort it out for me because yeah. I know that, that would be of interest, you know. And yeah, I, I think that that's really interesting, and that, that maybe that's something that's emerged from this this episode because we started talking about football which was kind of funny but um that, that i think that's an interesting idea because it's pushing at the edges of existing things and it's also using technology that we've all agreed now you know we can use this and we're going to use it right and i think that if you put together a list of 10 amazing speakers and you said right this is something we're going to open to um probably at the beginning uk and european art schools you know with a bit of imagination you could turn that into something bigger um, and that would be pretty awesome. I mean, my idea of seasons uh, for members of the School of Design is just one aspect of what I'm doing. Um, and, I, and I'm keen to push further into education and think, what can you do? And I see there as being massive opportunities between the private sector and the public sector to work more closely together. You know, we all share the same goal, which is teaching people about design. Um, and that would be really interesting. Really got me thinking, Adam. Right, let's um, stop the podcast and yeah. yeah you need to get johnny yeah, ive now the, don't the, you the, the rave music starts now <laughs> the rave music starts now um that ross did yeah awesome